the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back, listeners. Today we have part two of our interview with Dr. Myers. Dr. Myers, when we left last week, we were discussing the history physical exam and workup of athletes with hip pain. Let's please now talk about some different diagnoses you have seen in athletes with hip pain. You presented multiple case studies with various diagnoses, and I was hoping we could chat about those. Some of these are intraarticular and some are extraarticular. Okay, first up, femoral neck stress fractures. What are some of the risk factors of femoral neck stress fractures and who might be most likely to have this? General risk factors for, for stress fractures, you worry about, you know, females, the, the, you know, the female triad. So, you know, amenorrhea, you know, anorexia, and low bone density. So th- those are the, the, uh, the ones that are highest risks. And it, it tends to be in, in people who are in, in sports that have a rapid increase in training. So you're, you think of like cross-country runners in the, in the fall and your track distance athletes in the, in the spring. But we'll see them in basketball players and in different athletes. But those seem to be the ones that are the, the highest risk. How do you diagnose these? Do they typically show up on an x-ray? Not very often. Usually this is an MRI diagnosis. Um, you have to have a clinical suspicion. So somebody comes in with a you know, a history of hip pain in, in that population that, that is you, you worry about, you'll ask about a menstrual history, ask about their diet. But if, if I have a runner that, that is complaining of an increase in hip pain, I'm pretty liberal with getting an MRI scan just because I, it's the one of the few diagnoses that I, I don't think that we can we can miss. And as far as treatment, are they usually treated conservatively, like with crutches and non-weight bearing, or do they usually require surgery? Almost always are, are non-surgical interventions. So we'll we'll have patients utilize crutches for for activities that cause pain. So if they're if they're having symptoms with you know, and these are usually students, but not always. They're having symptoms, kind of just walking around with everyday activities. We'll put them on crutches and, and allow them to be, you know, weight bearing is tolerated with the crutches to help take some of the pressure off. When their symptoms resolve to the point where they're no longer having pain with activities of daily living, they can start weaning off their crutches and then we let them increase their activity as tolerated. But it's usually we'll start them on an elliptical trainer or bike at about three or four weeks after, after diagnosis, as long as they remain pain free. And then progress them back to you know progressive uh, upright activity, including the stairmaster, maybe an alter chi or a hydro works, up until usually around three months is when we let them start begin uh, full body weight running. Okay, next up, femoral acetabular impingement (FAI). This has become very popular in the last ten years, maybe fifteen years. Anyways, please give our listeners an overview of FAI, i.e. CAM, pincer impingement, sometimes both. You said that many people have radiographic evidence of this, but also many are not symptomatic. What is the typical complaint when you see a patient who is symptomatic? Most of the time, people will complain of some discomfort in the anterior aspect of their hip. Uh, Sometimes it radiates to their anterior thigh. Typically, Long car rides will bother them or sit in a movie theater or on an airplane. That'll be uncomfortable for them. Oftentimes, they'll experience uh, more difficulty with rotational movements than they will straight plane movements. So it may be somebody that says, 
you know, I can, I can run straight distances for as long as you want me to. And I get a little bit of achiness, but if I'm a soccer player and I have to, you know, cut and change directions, I'll get a sharp pain in my hip. Or if I'm a, you know, a tennis player and I have to lunge for a ball and or a quick change of direction, that's when it really gets me. So those are the more common complaints in, in terms of athletes. You know, people that are non-athletes or, or weekend warriors, it might just be if, you know, they have to get in their car, they have to be careful how they get in and out of their car because they'll get a sharp pain in their hip with certain rotation. What is the role of ultrasound guided injections for these patients? Can it be both a diagnostic and therapeutic intervention? As you mentioned earlier, it's very common for these people to have multiple findings on their MRI scan or for them to have, not everybody comes in with a classic exam of a positive C sign and pain with, you know, kind of a fader test and x-rays are super classic for FAI and MRI scan that looks like a very clean labral tear. So when we have patients whose symptoms are either not totally classic or if we're trying to trying to figure out exactly what symptoms are coming from their hip joint, what symptoms are not coming from their hip joint, we'll use an ultrasound guided injection of local anesthetic in the office. You know, we'll examine them. If we can elicit hip pain with the exam, great. We'll have one of our physician assistants do an injection, let that uh, local anesthetic set up for 20 or 30 minutes, and I come back in and re-examine them. And I always tell them, I'm like, whatever pain we relieved with the injection, we're pretty confident that that's coming from your hip joint. And whatever pain that you still have, pretty confident that that's not coming from your hip joint. And that, that just lets the patients know and lets me know what, what pain is related to their hip and what pain is related to something else. And when is surgery indicated for FAI? Surgery is, in my opinion, it's, it, if it's, you have symptoms that are unacceptable with your quality of life, you've exhausted non-operative treatment, which consists of structured physical therapy, sometimes corticosteroid injection, depending on the duration of your symptoms and, and the things that are bothering it. And you have exam and, and imaging findings that are consistent with uh, FAI. So those those are the things that, that have to kind of all come together for someone to, to be a candidate for surgery. Cam impingement is probably the easiest one to identify radiographically for people who aren't used to looking at a lot of hip x-rays. And, that, you know, it people will have this kind of pistol grip deformity of the femoral head and neck junction where the proximal femur appears to be out of round. It's best seen usually on a lateral x-ray, but occasionally you'll see it on, on the AP x-ray. And that's just where the where the femoral head does not fit properly into the socket. And then pincer impingement is can be either global pincer where there's a kind of a global overcoverage or focal pincer impingement where there's focal areas where the you know usually the anterior the lateral acetabulum kind of is you know overhangs too far anteriorly or too far laterally and puts the labrum in a position where it can get crushed by the femoral head and neck junction is one either flexes or rotates or abducts their hip. Okay, next topic, apophyseal injuries and heterotopic bone. Is this a common etiology of hip pain in the athlete? Who is the typical athlete that might experience this, junior high, high school, other level? Apophyseal injuries are pretty common, particularly in your adolescent athletes. A lot of times it's it's sprinters or, or kicking athletes. Um, we see them about you know, depend on the bone age of the patient, but usually 
I see a lot of these in kids kind of 14 to 16 or, or 18 or so. And usually they respond well to, to some rest and, and typical, typical duration is about six weeks before they're able to return to sports. I would say it's fairly uncommon for us to see significant heterotopic ossification as a result of one of these injuries. It's usually, when we see that, it's usually an indication they've had multiple apophysial uh, injuries in the past. What would be some of their common complaints and how would you manage these? Uh, again, it's if they're having trouble walking, we'll put them on some crutches just until they're comfortable walking. They'll uh, start doing physical therapy typically two to three weeks in, just trying to maintain a little bit of cardiovascular fitness, uh, avoiding st- stressing the injured area. Then as, as the bony injury calms down, uh, they can start progressing some of their physical therapy exercises and their strengthening exercises. And then it's usually around the six-week mark I test them, which means we have to press on the affected apophysis and it has to be pain-free. And then we have to stress the muscle that originates from that apophysis. And if they don't have pain with that and they've got good strength, then we'll allow them to return back to play. Hip subluxation and loose bodies. If there are loose bodies, is the articular cartilage the typical donor site? Is it common to have labral pathology as well? Do these all typically get arthroscopy? Loose bodies, yeah, I mean, usually the, the origin of them is, is articular cartilage, either from the femoral head or from the socket. And again, it, it just depends on if they're having symptoms from them. Sometimes somebody may have a subluxation episode, knock off a small piece with some rest. That piece may find some place to hide and not be symptomatic for them. If they're not having mechanical symptoms and their hip starts to, starts to feel pretty good, we just leave them alone. If they are, if they do continue to get sort of that catching and locking, or if there's a large piece, those are indications that, that they may uh, require surgery. And, and yes, oftentimes you will find, find labral pathology at the same time. And if we find that, we'll, you know, we'll address it typically with a repair. SOAS impingement. Okay, you mentioned that this problem typically presents with a painful snapping of the hip. What physical exam maneuver is most likely to be positive with this problem? How do you manage these patients? Patients with uh, psoas impingement, they typically will have pain and snapping when we go from a position of flexion, abduction, and external rotation to extension and internal rotation. And they'll, they'll experience a kind of a painful catch uh, throughout that range of motion. The initial treatment for this is, is uh, some physical therapy to work on core strengthening, abductor strengthening, stretching of the, of the uh, hip flexor musculature. If, if that doesn't work, then you can uh, do an iliopsoas tendon release or fractional lengthening of the iliopsoas tendon. That's uh, not something that we do very often, but it, it is something that, that can be done. Most of the time, isolated so as uh, impingement does resolve with some physical therapy. Here's something I haven't really heard of or thought of, ligamentum teres tears. Dr. Myers, you said that this is a common injury in the gymnast as the mechanism of the injury is hyperabduction. You also said bull riders and rodeos may have this as well as some women during childbirth from prolonged abducted hip positions. What sort of complaint will the patient have beyond pain? Does it feel like it catches, locks, gives out? That's exactly right. So they'll often will experience catching and locking. And most of the time, these are found in conjunction with, with labral injuries as well. But 
we have seen a few patients that have had isolated ligament and teres tears, and they, they come from a hyperabduction injury. Unlike you know, some other joints in the body, the, a lot of the complaints that people have with, with regards to their hips tend to be similar, whether it's labral pathology or, or ligament and teres tears or loose bodies, just because the hip is not as well innervated as, as say, your, the tip of your finger, where you know, we're very sensitive about where we're experiencing pain or discomfort, and the hip is just not that clear. Listeners, please join us again next week with part three of the interview with Dr. Myers when he discusses some more of his own clinical experience with different hip problems and how they are managed. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. We also welcome you to visit our website, paos.org, where members can download virtual conference content and get Category 1 CME. Also, if you're a non-member and you're interested in our CME content, please visit the aapa.org Learning Central for the PAOS virtual content.